Today's podcast is sponsored by 360 Works, makers of Super Container. If you're storing pictures or documents in FileMaker container fields, you owe it to yourself to find out what you're missing at 360works.com slash supercontainer, where you can download a free demo and documentation. Welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is Matt Navar, and today our guest is Jesse Barnum. Welcome. Hi, Matt. How you doing? Not bad. So Jesse is the president and founder of 360 Works, an FBA platinum company in Atlanta, Georgia, focused on building tools for other FileMaker developers. And you guys also do custom FileMaker plugin development, right? Yeah. A lot of our custom plugins uh, are, are, are really fun, and oftentimes they wind up uh, getting folded into our kind of product portfolio. Cool. So we have a two-part um, podcast. Part one is going to be today. We're going to talk about uh, several different things, but primarily we're going to be talking about distributing plugins on FileMaker Server. Yeah, yeah, with, but before, with auto update. With auto update, right? A built-in feature in FileMaker Server. But before we get to that, we've got It's Not FileMaker. We're both featuring iPhone applications today. What's yours? Mine is, and this is, my wife can tell you, I've been obsessing with this, is called Chess with Friends. And it's a free uh, multiplayer chess app. They just released version two. Um, and uh, you just get on there and you can put in, if you know somebody's email address, mobile number, or username, you can start a game with them. You can also just pick random opponents to play with. And it's a turn-based thing. So, you know, some games, if you're playing with somebody who happens to be online, it might be half an hour. Other times, you know, you might move once or twice a day and it might take a week to play a game. And so I usually have five or six games running at any given point in time, and and uh, I, I have a great time with it. That's cool. Yeah. So if anybody's up for a game of chess, uh, my mobile number is 404-386-3164, and uh, my, uh, my username in the game is Jay Barnum. Cool. I'm probably going to take you up on that. Yeah, yeah. Chess with friends. Chess with friends with benefits? <laughs> Well, <laughs> they did That's a add, whole they just, different thing. In version two, they did add a chat feature, so you could kind of get a little racy on the chat section, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> no, 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 no video camera uh, thing yet. There, there, there's no photo feature yet. Not even an iPhone three. Apparently, they didn't talk about video cameras. You know, it's it's the chess with friends is a perfect example of that push notification thing. How awesome that's going to be? Because right now, yep. uh, you know, you make a move and you either have to you, you can get in, you can set it so you get an email when your opponent makes a move, um, or you can just check in frequently to see. But you know, that's a perfect example of where that iPhone push notification is going to be awesome is when it can just ding on your phone when it's your move, even when the program's so, not running. So, how many pages of applications do you have on your iPhone? Uh, I've got I think about five. So, which is a lot less than a lot of other people that I know. Really? Yeah. I have like five, six. Uh-huh. Not all of them are full, but most of them are full. And, and I've organized them by type. So I have music applications on one page with like recorder. I bought the four-track recorder thing. Yeah, my brother's uh, got Synthesizers, that. pianos, violin, gu several guitars. Um, you know, my brother Sam plays guitar, and he just got that same four-track recorder. Um, he's got an iPod Touch instead of the iPhone, but mm -hmm. he loves it because he can actually just – he tapes his iPod Touch to his guitar and walks around with it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. But the only application that I've – it's funny. They talked about iPhone applications that people – most people buy it and then they just don't use it for ever after mm -hmm. the first week. Right. And that's true for most of the applications I've gotten. 
Uh, but one of them that I use constantly is Solibon, S-O-L-E-B-O-N, which is a solitaire implementation. I got a few different ones, and that's the one that I like the best <laughs> because I can play a game in four minutes. Uh-huh. I, I do the turn once. I like to actually win games, and I win like 53% of games or something. I don't know, 59%. Are oh, you wuss. Um, turn yeah, one. What is I that? Should, yeah, I know. <laughs> turn one. And you, can, and you can undo. So if you've got two different moves, you can try one and then try the other one, you know. I like the turn three because it's always fun to like memorize, you know, re- try to remember what's coming next in the deck and then strategically play certain ones and not play certain ones so that you can set it up to get the card that you want when you're flipping it's three. a totally different game. Yeah. The strategy for turn three is so totally different than a strategy for turn one. Yeah. And turn one has a specific strategy that's evolving as I, as I play and get a little more nuanced in it. But I think it's interesting. <laughs> To show the relative intellect level between you and me, since one of us plays solitaire <laughs> alone in a mall, and the other one plays chess with people all over the world. Because, you know, chess is, is the game of, of socialites. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's not that it, it's, it's definitely the game of more intellectual people than, uh, than solitaire. Come yep. on. <laughs> yep. Hey, but I can admit it. <laughs> I actually just got in touch with, on, on Facebook with my old uh, – in chess, I was me and one other guy were in the chess club. So, chess you know, club. you always knew who you were going to play with in chess club. I saw that coming. And uh, so, but I just, he got in touch with me on Facebook the other day. So we're going to try and set up, set up some, I'm going to try and get him going with chess with friends. Yeah. I wasn't in chess club in school. <laughs> it, was, it was even worse. I wasn't in band. Even worse than that, I was actually in choir. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of those guys. <laughs> one of them. <laughs> Yeah, there was so few guys in choir, and many of the guys weren't particularly interested in the girls. So it was like it was great for me. Well, you know, <laughs> my, my my daughter's in ballet, and I go to these ballet classes, and I'm like, I'm like, why didn't I get to be in ballet when I was a teenager and interested in girls? Yeah. I that, know, and and you know, and I've got a son too. I'm like, you know, hey Liam, you should think about ballet. It's like, nah. <laughs> like, all right, someday you're gonna wish. I know. <laughs> Yeah, well, 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 I guess I, I never thought about choir that way, but yeah, yeah. I had a similar experience. I worked at an ad agency, and you know, you work at, at uh, a lot of ad agencies. You, it's basically, it's mostly single women because it's very time-consuming to work at an agency. So single women and gay men. And uh, so, yeah, that, that, was, uh, that, was, that was a good environment to work in, and that's actually where I met my wife. So, mission accomplished. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> So let's get on to some, you know, FileMaker-ish topics. Yes, yes. Now that I've um, pissed off everyone who works at an added agency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I doubt it. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so let's see. We both think something that you've been doing lately is very cool for FileMaker this week. So the FileMaker Cool is uh, is audit logging with script triggers in FileMaker 10. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I was amazed at how simple it was to do really good uh, audit logging. I mean, there's been all sorts of of hacks that have existed in previous versions of FileMaker where you can do like, uh, you know, recursive modification date based lookups, you know, that trigger. Yeah, let's a run some of those down, right? So you've got like lookup based ones that use uh, relationship. There's custom function based ones that just watch a modification field like Ray Culligan's mm-hmm. and set a single text field in each table gets appended with one line every time anything is changed. Yes. I'm a big fan of FM Data Guard, a plugin based method. Yeah, you know, I I haven't used that, and it was a shame because Jason Erickson came to the Atlanta group to present that, and that happened to be when my kids were on spring break, so I missed that presentation. 
Um, so I haven't gotten to see that in action yet. It's really cool. You know, it's pretty easy to implement. Uh-huh. It has a, as little impact on on performance as I think it could have. There's certainly some because every time, you know, if you change 15 different fields on one record, then 15 records will be created with a before and after value in the audit log table okay. when that record is committed. Okay, okay. So that obviously is going to have some performance. But it's totally invisible to the users. Users have no idea this is happening. Right. I think that's a beautiful and thing. That's what matters. Yeah. I mean, you of all people know that, you know, the number of records is not a big factor in FileMaker. Right. And then it has the roll forward and roll back capability, which is really cool. So you can say, you know, if the server crashed and your audit log table was fine, you can just go to a backup and say, for the two hours since our last backup, we're going to restore every single change, add change and delete from the audit log table into the master. And it goes through all the different tables and remakes all the changes that were made in each of those tables, which is pretty cool. That's amazing. That's, that's really cool. I mean, that's something that, you know, we use SVN for version control, not with FileMaker, but with, with Java stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I've kind of gotten a little bit accustomed to that for the Java development is being able to roll back to any given point in time. But the idea of being able to do that to your data in FileMaker is, is kind of uh, totally a foreign concept, but a, a incredibly cool. You know, Petrowski's uh, It's Not FileMaker from the last episode was an SVN thing for FileMaker that he's oh, really? using. Yeah, I need to. It's catch, useful I'm, I'm, for. I'm about four episodes behind. I haven't gotten to that one yet. Yeah, you got to catch up. Yeah, although that one actually is, as you and I record this, that one hasn't been released yet, so <laughs> you <laughs> wouldn't have been able to know that. <laughs> we only recorded it yesterday. Well, the way you do it with, um, and, and so a lot of the things that work with, like, if you're using, you know, a non-plugin approach, if you're using just like, you know, tricks with FileMaker previous to ten. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think any of those things were, would have allowed you to run a script that would go to a different uh, table and create audit, individual audit log records, right? That would have no. I think you're plugin. right. And actually, before we get to the triggering thing, because I want to know more about it. But the way that I, I usually do two parallel audit logs in like the really high end systems that I do. One of them is the machine readable one, which is FM Data Guard. Okay. Uh-huh. And then I also do a human readable one because I don't really let users click into a field and change it for any field that's really important. It always is a script-based thing. So if a user goes in to change the date of birth in a medical database, a really important field, right. it'll pop up a dialogue or you know have something that, that they type in a value. It tests the value to make sure it's not a future date, not a date that would make the person 130 years old. Right, right. Not an invalid date, you know, stuff like that. And then once it accepts it, it it either it would write history to say, oh, yeah, they tried to change a date that was in the future, or they successfully changed the date. Here's what it was. Here's what it is. And it writes a nice, clear line of history in a table that says, you know, who changed what from what to what. And it's very readable. Right. And then, and then I can actually set what language I want for that particular thing. Language. But then, what yeah, what English, how I want it to read. Oh, okay. okay. So, that it's, so that it's a human readable thing, and it's really easy. And then you can make everything relational. Um, you can have keys for all of your different tables that you track. Mm-hmm. So if you want to see the history of what happened to this patient, the history of what happened to this case, the history of what happened to this, you know, lab report or whatever, you can see all that. Right. Whereas if you use FM Data Guard, it doesn't really track the keys in each individual table in quite in that way. Right. It's not so you wouldn't want to make all those relationships to look at. Yeah, and it would be really slow. So it's that's machine. That's what I call machine readable as uh-huh. opposed to human readable. Not to plug too much here, but have you seen the Difference Engine plugin? Um, the 360 Works Difference Engine plugin? Not yet. It color codes text changes. 
So for like an audit log, it allows you, you know, if you've got a paragraph of text and you change four words, it'll color code that for you. And you can, so you can see which sections were inserted, which were changed and which were deleted. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So it works really, really well with, with, you know, in combination with any of these audit logging techniques. Hmm. Okay. So now what you're talking about here is a, a script trigger based thing that you detach a trigger to what every field on the layout. Tell me how this works. Um, in, in my case, what I've been using it for, I'm only auditing certain important fields. You could definitely attach it to every field. Uh-huh. I haven't thought through what the ramifications would be of that because mine is a very, very simple approach. That's just audit logging one critical piece of information. But yeah, you attach a script trigger to a field. And I experimented with doing on-object keystroke, on-object modify, on-object save. And the one that I settled down with was on-object save. I like that because it only gets triggered once after you make numerous modifications. And mm-hmm. it triggers right before the record actually gets committed. And so the, which the timing is perfect there because what I do is as soon as my script gets triggered... I go to an audit log table, I create a new record, I set the foreign key in the audit log equal to the primary key in whatever the real database that is that I was changing. That mm-hmm. just triggers a lookup. The lookup gets the committed value, not the uncommitted value, which means that when the lookup triggers, it's going to get the contents of the field prior to the change that you're about to commit. Exactly. And so that will get looked up into the audit log table. And then you're done. That's, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a five-line script. You know, go to layout, create new record, set foreign key, go back to original layout. Was that four lines or something? And then you just proceed, okay. and then the record gets committed. And So if you do a go to layout, if you switch layouts and you don't open a new window, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you can, that means you, you'd lose your tab panel settings, wouldn't you? Probably. You could do yeah, a you new would. window as well. Could you do it a different way other than with a lookup? Could you actually grab the value for self and pass it as a parameter or something like that? You would need to do that differently. You wouldn't do it with on object save in that case because if you actually, in your script, if you say get me the contents of this field, it's going to get you the contents of the field after the edits have been made. So you might need to, you could do like a combination. So like on object modify, before it actually gets modified, you could do a global variable with a snapshot of the current value, then set some flag to show that you have that as a temporary value, ignore future modifications, and then on save, you would take that initial stored value and write that into your audit log. Hmm. So in the method that you use with a lookup, can you, can you actually, in your audit record, can you set the before and after value, or do you just get the before value? Yeah, you could do that. It just depends on when the commit happens. So like, for instance... I don't worry about doing that in in my particular solution because I always have the current value in the field in the original table. Right. Um, But if I wanted it in the audit log, I certainly could. You would just go to, before it gets committed, you would go to your audit log table, create the record that would fire the lookup. You go back to the original layout, do a commit, and then just repeat the process. So you would get one before the commit and one after the commit because that's so when two the value records. changes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it could what be I two would records hope for would be... or it could be two fields in the same record. You would just have a different lookup. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And actually two fields in the same record is what FM Data Guard has. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, well, I, but see, I wouldn't use, um, I don't know exactly the triggering mechanism for FM Data Guard, but I don't think script triggers are the right way to do it. Um, I think script triggers, because they are so associated with UI actions, 
I was eye chatting a little bit with, with Jason Erickson about this at one point in time. And he was talking about, you really need to do that kind of stuff. If, it, if it's reliable, it needs to happen more at the data model level rather than at the, the visual presentation layout level, which is where exactly. script triggers happen. Right. So I don't yep. think script triggers would be the right way for him to do it in his product. No, if, that's, that's correct. Yeah. But it's a great way to do it. If you just need like to, to do a, not a whole system wide thing. I don't know if the technique I'm talking about is the right technique. If you want to do system wide audit logging, but it's a great technique. If you have a couple fields that contain some critical information and you want to keep track of those. And yet you don't want to make those fields script based so that you right. have to have a script to edit the value right. by popping I mean, up a dialog box or changing layouts or whatever. Right, right. Obviously, you could have done it in the past by just having them hit a continue button when they're done editing it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that's what we're all trying to get away from when, in FileMaker 10 and with the various script triggering plugins out there. Yep. Hmm. I love this. I can and, uh, instantly see a place I'm going to use this. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a simple thing. It's a, it's a four or five line script combined with a single script trigger and a very simple audit log table. And so it's just a, it's a nothing little deal to set up and it doesn't require any plugins. And, uh, so uh, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Okay. So that's some cool stuff. Let's get on with the, uh, main topic. Auto update. Auto update. So what is the deal with distributing plugins in FileMaker server anyway? Auto update was actually, it was added in way back when in FileMaker server, I think it was 5.5. It might have been 5.0, but I think it was 5.5. You know, so it's been in there for a long time. And uh, yeah, they changed the mechanisms though. Didn't it used to actually be, it was a plugin that was shipped from FileMaker that you could make a plugin call to that plugin. It's still the same thing. Still the same thing? It's almost completely unchanged from then actually. Um, they, uh, when you do an install on FileMaker just straight out of the box on a brand new clean machine and you go into your plugin preferences, you're going to see one plugin there, which is called auto update. Right. Um, and so that comes out of the box from FileMaker. It is possible right. to disable it, you know, which, and then all bets are off. Yeah. Which would be bad. <laughs> so, so don't disable yeah. it. Uh, but, but yeah, so th- that's the way it's worked since FileMaker 5.5 and, um, and essentially with a little bit of scripting and some setup of folders and things, it allows you to take your plugins and put them on the FileMaker server so that when your users connect into FileMaker server, they immediately, it, down, it, it checks to see if they need to get the plugin from the server. If they do, it downloads it, and then they immediately have that plugin. And the really amazing thing is there, there's no restarting required. I think that's the thing that I, when I've talked about this and I've demoed this to people, they always say, okay, so now you need to quit FileMaker and restart, right? And it's like, no. D- didn't you used to have to? No. Mm-mm. Even in the first version of Even it? Even in the first can... version of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and, and that's one big advantage of auto-update compared to, um, I know John Sindelar's done some really cool stuff, and, and other people have too, with um, a, a very neat technique of kind of like creating a plugin in a container field, and then you ship your solution with that plugin in the container field, and when it starts right. up... It writes mm-hmm. that to your extensions directory and decompresses it. Um, but then you do still need to quit and restart. Whereas if you're doing an auto update from the server, that step is not necessary. And it's up to you, because it's all a scripted process, it's up to you whether you want to show the user, you know, prompt the user or not. You could just do it invisibly so that it just happens. You could prompt them and say, do you want to get this? 
you could prompt them and say, you already have it, but there's a newer version on the server. Do you want to get it? So you're totally in control of that process. So usually I put that like in my startup script. If I know I'm using three three plugins, mm-hmm. I'll have, I'll write three little auto update scripts and I'll call those for my startup script. And then distribution becomes really easy because I don't need to worry about, you know, giving the plugin to all the users. I just put it on the server at the same time that I'm putting my FileMaker files on the server. And uh, so let's talk about this, the different parts of this, right? One, the first big part of it, obviously, is you have to have the plugins actually on the server. Yes, that's didn't, correct. Didn't they have to be in like a really specific weird format back in the day? They still for cross-platform do. compatibility. That's, that's one of the reasons I think that more people don't use it is because it's very easy to mess up the exact naming uh, format required on the folder structure. And, uh, and if you do mess it up, FileMaker doesn't really give you very useful error reporting of telling you why. Um, so I think that's, I think there have been people who tried to set up auto update and if they don't get those folders named exactly right. And there's also an additional step. If it's a Mac plugin that you have to go into the terminal and do tar, um, which is a little intimidating for, for, uh, a lot of people. Um, so you have to use tar to turn your plugin into a, a tar archive, and then you have to name these folders, a very specific thing. And, um, and, and so it's, it, it's a little challenging when you're first setting it up to get it going. And, and I think that's part of the reason that more people haven't used it. Um, and because the error reporting is not that good, you know, people try it, it doesn't work. And then they just assume that it's totally broken. Um, Mm -hmm. one other point to keep in mind is that it's not enabled by default on the server. When you go into the server admin software, there's a checkbox and it says, allow clients to download updates from the server, which the word updates is almost even weird. It should, I think it should say allow clients to download plugins from the server. Plugins. Yeah. Because totally. updates makes it sound like they can get like a new version of FileMaker. Or FileMaker, or which they can't. Yeah. solution or something. Which they yeah. should be able to, but yeah. Yeah. That would be sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Auto update the next rev. That would be awesome. Um, but, but yeah, so you, you do have that box is it's on, on in FileMaker pro client, that plugin is enabled by default. So you don't have to go around to anyone's desktop and check that box. While we're wishing for stuff, I want to be able to distribute a separation model system and have FileMaker Server be able to dole out new copies of the interface file to users. Ah, we need to talk about that. Although you could probably do that that. in a container field too, and then put the, and and this is way off topic, but (laughs) 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 let's just skip. It's it's too crazy and theoretical. So, what are the steps to to make this work? So, A, you've got them. You've got the tarballs and specifically formatted things on the server itself in a directory. Yeah. So in your databases folder on FileMaker Server, you've got a subfolder mm-hmm. in there called auto update. And inside the auto update folder, that's empty by default. And mm-hmm. so what you're going to do is you're going to create a folder and the folder needs to be named the exact same thing as your plugin. So let's talk about, uh, I'll use my charts plugin as an example. So I have a folder called 360works underscore charts um, in my auto-update server. And inside that folder, you have another folder whose name needs to match the version number of the plugin. And you can have multiple folders in there too. So like in my charts plugin, I have a folder called 1.56 and another folder called 1.57. And that's important because when... FileMaker client goes to do the auto update, it's going to get a list of all the available versions and then it can pick which one to download. You could certainly just get the last one if you want the most recent one, or you can mm-hmm. get all sorts of, you could 
be real exotic and you could say, okay, I've tested this particular version. I know this is the version that I want. Get this version, no matter what's on the server. Or you could even, if you wanted to, you know, present a choice to the user of which version of the plugin or something do you want. Um, in my case, on my scripts, I always assume that I want the most recent version. So that's how I do it now. Um, okay. So you have a folder. My folder is named 1.57. Inside that folder, you, there's two files, a Windows plugin and a Mac plugin. The Windows plugin is just the FMX plugin. It's just the exact same plugin that you would put in your extensions director in FileMaker. You just put it the exact same unmodified way inside this folder. Um, mm -hmm. If it's a Mac plugin, you need to go into terminal first and you need to do um, tar. You'll need to man tar um, to get the manual command on it or, or, or look on Google and Google for how to tar a file. Um, Could but, you use, if you have stuff at Deluxe, cause this, does that also make tarballs? <laughs> It does, but I've noticed a weird behavior if you do stuff at Deluxe, which is that when the client goes to get the plugin, it actually pops open stuff it on the client's FileMaker Pro to, to, to untar it. Oh. So it's really better to do it in the terminal. Which they might not have now. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if, if they don't have it. I haven't tested that. Maybe then it just does it invisibly using the built-in Unix tar. I don't know. Well, a couple of versions of OS ten ago, Apple built in the ability to stuff files by right-clicking on them. To, to zip didn't them, used not to, be to stuff a, them. To zip them, sorry. Yes. That, which didn't used to be a built-in feature. Right. Um, it, well, it's been built-in since, is it 10.3 or 10.4 10 that they 3, added 10.4. I think 10.4 they added it. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I, th I think that now stuff it is on the decline as a result because... Yeah. And and because also .sit files are not cross-platform and .zip files are so anyway yeah yeah so I mean I, I I don't use sit anymore I use zip for everything anything that I'm going to compress um, but tar actually is not a compression format um, tar is just simply taking a bunch of files and just kind of laying them end to end in one individual file with a header that tells you how long each file is oh. and what the directory structure is so so tar by itself is going to be should be almost identical to the size of the original files. Um, hmm. What a lot of people do and what stuff it does is it does both. It tars them and then also stuffs them. Um, but yeah, because a plugin on the Mac, it's not actually a file per se. Isn't right. it like a, it's an OS 10 bundle or a bundle, right? So you can actually right click it and say, show bundle contents yes. and see the stuff inside of it. Just like you can do on an application in OS 10 yes. or like a garage band project or, or you can actually see it. all the yeah pages. You can actually see all the stuff inside of it. It's basically like a folder essentially. Right. And but, the finder um, gives you the illusion that it's a single file. Um, but you'll find out that it's not when you try to do anything that you can't like, for instance, if you're to try to do an HTTP upload, um, mm -hmm. you know, using a standard HTML input form, you can't upload a bundle because it's actually a directory. Right. And so that's why FileMaker wants you to tar this file is because that turns this quasi file, which is actually a directory into, into a something that is truly just a file. Yep. So now you have just two files in, in this folder named with the version number. One is the FMX file, which is windows and the other is the .tar file. Here's a common mistake that people make. Um, in the case of charts, before you tar it, it's called 360works underscore charts. It has a suffix .fm plugin. That fm plugin doesn't show up in the finder, so you don't see that part of the name, but it is part of the name if you look at it in terminal. And you need to keep that part of the name when you tar it. So the final name is not 360works underscore charts dot tar. Mm -hmm. It's 360works underscore charts dot fm plugin dot tar. And so that is another common 
mess up that people run into when they're trying to set up auto update. And again, because the error reporting is not very good, if you run into that, it's really, really hard to figure out what's going on and fix it. Um, so like in my folder here, I've got 360 works underscore charts dot FM plugin dot tar. And I have 360 works underscore charts dot FMX. And so that's the directory structure that you need to set up. And, you know, as, as I mentioned, I mean, it's very exacting. It's, it needs to be named very precise things. Um, you need to tar that, that file on the Mac. So there are some hurdles to get that done. And we can, I can talk if you want me to about some things that we've done to kind of remove those hurdles. But if you're just doing this all yourself, those are the steps that you would need to take. And it's not time consuming at all. It's just easy to mess up the first time, right. you, the first time you do it. And so you need to put that folder structure inside the auto update folder on your FileMaker server. Mm -hmm. And then in your FileMaker script, you need to access the auto update plugin to tell it to go get that file and load that file. Um, we don't use the word access around here. <laughs> <laughs> to, to view it. <laughs> and, uh, Sorry. And, and so that's slightly complex too. But again, it's, it's only complicated the first time you do it. Right. And, and then you can easily copy and paste it. And I can talk about some things that we've done uh, to, to remove all this complexity, you know, because we've already written these things and they're very easy to just copy and paste. Yeah, I guess that's the magic, right? So this is a hard process to do the first time. Yes. Not, but not hard. Not hard. Not time consuming. I mean, it takes 10 minutes, but easy to, easy to mess up. Right. So a lot of developers haven't done it. Right. But you don't really have to do the, the hard steps because this has been made easy for you by several developers. Right. One of them is this obscure company called 360 Works. <laughs> have you heard of them? Only recently. <laughs> so, so you guys have a – what do you have to, we, to make this easy? Yeah, we've got a, a database that runs on our server, which is run at a high-speed co-location center. And it's our auto-update server. And there's – two ways that you can do auto update from our server. One way, which is really, really, really easy is you just simply call a script on our server. You know, you say in your, in your startup script for your solution, let's say that you need the 360 works, uh, FTP plugin. And so what you can do is in your startup script, you just add a line that says perform external script. You point it to our server, which is auto update 360 works.com. And, uh, the file is named, uh, auto update 360 works. And you'll get a list of scripts that you can form. And one of the scripts is called auto update uh, FTP plugin. We have one of those for each of our plugins and you just call that script and, and that's it. That is the entire setup process. Cause what it's going to do, you, there, you don't need to do any of the steps that I just talked about, about setting up folders on your server. You don't need to enable auto update on your server. You don't need to write any scripts because it's running off of our server, not your server. So that's insane. So basically what you're saying is any client who uses any of your plugins, rather than them building their own auto update mechanism in their own FileMaker server, they could just call yours. Yes. And then they can distribute, you know, that solution like normal to their clients. And when their clients run it for the first time, it's going to go to our server, get that plugin, install it on the client's computer. They don't even need to restart FileMaker. They just keep going and they'll have the plugin installed. Would they have to make like a file reference in their solution to your auto-update plugin to, for that to work? Well, that happens I automatically would, right? when you set up that external script call. So when you right, say yeah, exactly. the external script, it's going to say, you know, what file is it in? And you say add external reference. And, yep. uh, and, and the server is named auto-update.360works.com. 
The file is named auto-update 360 works. You'll see that in the list of files. We don't hide the name of the files or anything. And then uh, you just see a list of scripts you can call, and you pick which plugin you want or plugins, and you just call one script for each plugin. And then one last step, uh, just for our benefit and sanity, is call close file after you finish that, please. Uh, so that we don't, oh, yeah. yeah. So we don't wind up with a thousand people all connected to our server because they ran an auto update script from it. Um, Although that's now possible. <laughs> not a thousand. Nine hundred ninety-nine would be possible. I was rounding up, rounding up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, close enough. Close enough for government work, right? Uh, so the, actually, you guys have made it easier than other people that I've thought about who've done this. So, so like Troy, back in the day when I was using a lot of Troy plugins at Pre One, they had a a script that you could run in their system. But I don't think they were actually operating a server that actually had that mechanism. They just made the process of updating the plugins really easy by giving you a pregurgitated folder that you could upload to FileMaker server and a pregurgitated script that you could run in your solution that would that would automatically download the, those the versions of those plugins from the server. Right, and that's the second uh, approach that you can take, and, and and we do the same thing. So, you know, that, that first option is the super quick approach. There are two downsides of the super quick approach. One is that from a speed standpoint, it's going to connect to our server every time that they run the startup script, and that might take two or three seconds. So you add a little bit of time onto your, onto your startup script because it's connecting to our server to see if there's a more recent version every time that they open the file. Um, and, and if you were hosting it on your own server, then that, that delay wouldn't be there. So that's one downside of the super quick approach. The second downside is that you're always going to get the most recent version of our plugin. If I just deployed a version of our plugin 10 minutes ago, the next time you open your file, you're going to get that version. And that may be what you want, or you may say, you know what, this version is stable and does everything we need. We don't want to be on the bleeding edge, and so we want to standardize on this particular version. And, and so that, that's another reason that you might not want to do the super quick version um, right is if you want to you know have more control over which version of the plugin you're going to run, and so that would be what we call option two, which is it's still very easy, but basically it's a lot like what you were talking about with the Troy uh, auto update approach is that we make um, we have a single zip file, you download the zip file, you decompress it, it's got all the folder structure all set to go, both the Mac and the Windows version are in there, so you just unzip it and you take that top level folder and put it into your auto update folder on your server. So that's, that's one step. And then the second step is you copy and paste instead of calling the script on our server, you just copy that script and paste it into your solution and just call it as part of your startup thing. Hmm. So it's still okay. very easy. It's slightly less easy. And the advantage is there is that first of all, the speed is instant. There's no perceptible lag at all of, of checking for those things. Cause they're going to be running on your own server on the LAN. Um, right. And the other benefit of there is that you get to pick and choose when you want to update to a more recent version of our plugin after you've tested it and made sure that it does what you want it to do. Um, but both both options are, are very simple. Um, and then a third option which, um, is we, you know, all of these scripts are things that you can just look at yourself. And we include um, the, the, the scripts that you copy and paste are, are a little bit long. Um, because we do a bunch of error checking, we wanted to make it. Mm -hmm. We wanted to do really good error reporting to the user about why something's not working, um, and we have support for things like, for instance, you can set a minimum version number, and um, 
and there's some like flow charting in there about if they have this minimum version and it's not version of, available in the server, then go ahead and proceed as long as they have that version installed in the client. So we do a whole lot of additional checks in the scripts that you can copy and paste. But we also have um, in that same file, there's a script called bare bones auto update example. And that's a really short version of that that skips all of that error checking and all of those extra features and just shows you, you know, here are the basics of writing your own auto-update script. And then if you, if you want to write it yourself uh, and have a lot and total control over the process, then you can just use that script as a reference. And, and uh, I would still recommend going ahead and downloading the zip file that you dump into your auto-update folder because that's going to be the same whether you do it yourself or whether we do it. But as far as the script, you can certainly refer to our bare bones example and just see the critical steps that you need to take to make sure that, that you're doing it uh, the, the right way and then just write your script however you want. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really powerful and it's really, really neat when we demo this. You know, I like I start up with FileMaker. I go into the plugin preferences thing. In, in plugins, the only plugin you see is the auto update one that comes from FileMaker. I connect to our example file and then you, it just it just works. It just opens up the, the example file. The plugins are immediately available. You just go back into your plugin preferences, and they're all listed there. And they're all ready to go. So, so let's see. Plugins go into a new location now. So back in the day, they used to go inside your FileMaker folder in the extensions folder. Uh-huh. And that's still where a lot of people sort of manually put them. Yes. But uh, let's see. On my Mac, they actually go into my home user folder, library, application support, FileMaker, mm-hmm extensions. Right. And they switched that starting with version nine. What's the path on windows? Windows. Why are you asking me windows questions? That's like access. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I don't know the, the, the path offhand. Um, similar though. Yeah. It's, it's a location that's inside the user's home directory. Right. That way you can guarantee the user can always write to it because we've come across situations where the user doesn't have access to write to their own program directory. And so they can't install plugins themselves because that folder's locked to them. Right. And so that was a big problem in version 7 and 8 of FileMaker. And starting with version 9, they switched it so that it would write into your own home directory for exactly the reason you said. You know, so even if you're locked out from IT by changing your applications directory, you can still run auto-update reliably. The one confusion there is that after auto-update runs, if you want to get rid of the plugin for some reason it's helpful to know where it's putting it so you can go and get rid of it. Cause it can be a mystery when you look in your plugin preferences and you see this plugin there and you're like, that is not in my FileMaker extensions directory. And that may be why is it, it, it pulls from both places. So you can, right. Yeah. Because you could actually have the same diff- different versions of the same plugin installed in both directories and you could have multiple users on one computer and each user has their own copy of the plugins yep. in their user directory. Yep. So it is important um, yeah, to so know that's, about that. That's why you can't just make an alias from the, application directory to the user directory because if there's multiple users that wouldn't work that's a good point yeah so yeah it added a layer of confusion for sure but i think it's still definitely for the good because it solved a really big problem needed solving yeah i know i've talked to several people that were really happy about that change um, because they just couldn't use auto update prior to that so before we wrap i have one wish of what would happen for this in the future i wish that some company would come up with a filemaker server that was running at a hosted place that would have auto, the auto update just like you've done it for your plugins, uh-huh. except they'd have it for every vendor of plugin. I was just presenting in Orlando, and I talked to Andy Gaunt, and he and I kind of I showed them the auto update feature, and, uh, and and people got very excited when they saw it in the demo, and that's exactly what Andy is thinking about doing. He he runs a co-located server, 
that's hosted by Angela Lucci at Drooling Dog. And he's talking about having like a centralized thing. And it wouldn't just be for FM Pug members. It would just be a service offered by FM Pug to any FileMaker uh, person. And it would be just like the thing that I was describing to you where you can just go to the server and run an external script from the server, but it would be hosted on the FM Pug server and it would be all plugins from all vendors that wanted to participate and like this shared server thing. And that's not out there yet. Andy and I were just talking about this idea last Wednesday, so it's not quite there yet. That's a great suggestion and it's on the radar. And uh, so didn't, didn't my setup seem fake because you and I discussed it in advance. (laughs) (laughs) It is such a brilliant idea though. And I really do wish for that. I think it would be great. I mean, it's shocking to me. Uh, well, maybe shocking is a strong term. It's surprising to me at how many few people are using auto update. And, uh, you know, I talked a little earlier about why that is, you know, I mean, it, it is easy to get it wrong. And, um, there are certain things that I would love to see FileMaker do. Like, for instance, one of the changes that I would like to see happen is I don't think it should be necessary to tar that Mac plugin. I think you should just be able to put the Mac plugin in the folder yeah. unmodified, and the server should just do that automatically when, the, when yep. the thing is requested. That would take a major burden away. Another thing is if the error reporting were a little better, so it told you why the auto-update didn't work. So there's improvements that FileMaker could make, but it is kind of the sleeper technology right now, and it's really powerful. Well, and- FileMaker could also host a server that has all the plugins, but anyone who makes a plugin can, you know, they, have a yeah. plugin store sort of. They, they certainly could. I, I, um, I mean, you know, like the, like the iPhone application store, maybe even allow you to buy it right from that central location. Oh, now you're talking. <laughs> I think I just got my feature request for DevCon. I love that that iPhone announcement now that you're going to be able to buy content inside the app. Wouldn't that? Oh yes. Wouldn't that be very amazing? Cool. Only for could, paid apps. Only for paid apps. So mm-hmm. wouldn't that be cool in FileMaker? Like you could be inside FileMaker, and there'd be some like function there that would say "Browse list of plugins," and you could check five plugins that yeah. you want, hit go, and it would just get them and put them on your server for auto update, and mm-hmm. you'd be set. That'd be cool. You could buy custom functions for ninety nine cents to five dollars. That'd be awesome. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, it would be. You know, if I still don't understand why there's not a copy and paste option in the custom functions window. So that you could just yeah. copy an entire custom function easily and paste it. I know. It. You have to build it. Yeah. And FM Butler has done That's been a request some, for a long time. Yeah. FM Butler's done some neat stuff with, with their uh, – is it Clip Manager? Is that the name of, of their, their tool? I'm not sure if that's the name. But, yeah, I know that's them who've built a really cool way to do it. Yeah. So they've kind of done a nice third-party uh, uh, approach to, to managing custom functions. But still, I mean, it just seems like that would be a really cool thing in FileMaker is that if you could easily copy and paste custom functions and then – if you could do that, it seems like that might open the door to having that sort of custom function store. Um, yeah. Although it'd be a little hard with a custom function store because you can't compile it. You know, anybody who buys it has it. And so, you know, you, yeah, you know, well, that's the same for a lot of, not really plugins, but for a lot of other FileMaker type add on things where you really are buying the whole code. Right. You know, right. Or like, you know, PHP is the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's enough for today. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks a lot, man. It was a lot of fun. I'll talk to you again, actually, next week for the next episode. Okay, great.